I'm back. Did you miss me? I missed you all. Happy New Year. Happy 2023. If you celebrate that kind of thing. Welcome to season two, episode one of the Omega Sports Learn to Run podcast. I'm still your host. Haven't lost my job yet. Dr. Matt Minard, pronounced my nerd. And I'm honored to be your host. If you are new, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Here's how this works. This is your show. This isn't my show. This is your show. You vote on the topics, and then I create content around that topic on all my social media platforms. If you are a regular, welcome back. I am so grateful for all the support, the growth. It's truly rewarding to see that people are getting help from this. This is actually valuable. So thank you. For associated visuals with this episode, check out my YouTube. I kept the background clear now. That way I can add different visuals and, and whatever I can do to help drive home the message of whatever we're talking about. I'm a visual learner and some of you are as well. So we'll combine the visual and the audio with the YouTube. What was the winner? What is What are we going to kick 2023 season two, episode one? What are we going to kick it off with? Marvin Gaye music. Muscle Love 101. No, it's not going to be about that, but Muscle Love 101. What are we going to talk about? So this episode is going to more be, if you have a restriction, how to use different tools, what are some examples, tools being foam roller, scraping, massage gun, all that kind of stuff. If you're looking for should I stretch? When should I stretch? Before running, after running, after, after. Go back to episode three. Episode three was all about that, where I talked about stretching and replacing that with lengthening. When should we do it? Before, after. And so this episode is kind of all about the after, after. Talked about before running, after running, and then after, after. That's where this kind of plays into part. This isn't right before running. This isn't right after. This is after, after. So hopefully that'll make sense as we keep going here. The three key takeaways that I want to talk about are, number one, what is the difference between tight and torn? A tight muscle versus a torn muscle. When, what, and how to use a tool. Tool being massage ball, lacrosse ball, foam roller, massage gun. And then the third is three relatable examples. How we learn is applying these concepts, just hearing words doesn't really make a lot of sense. So I'm going to try to apply these to three common examples that I see, and you hopefully will fall into one of these three categories and have an idea of what, what you can do for, to treat the muscles. Okay, so as always, I want to go over some foundational information first. Before going into this, what is good to know? What do we need to know going into this? Talked about a little bit before, but I want to make sure we're here, we're on the same page. How do muscles work? What's their function? What's their role? Why do we have muscles? And muscles, muscles are our movers. They create and control all things movement. If you didn't have any muscles at all, you wouldn't be able to move. 
movement comes from muscles. Yes, gravity pulls us down with falling. That creates some movement, but our muscles control. Episode two, I talked about that. I talked about gravity and leaning and capitalizing on gravity to create some movement. But for purposes of this, the muscles are our movers. And if you imagine our body is this framework, like the skeleton, the studs of a house, how we actually get movement is the muscles. A muscle has a starting point and an ending point, called that origin and insertion. When a muscle contracts, it shortens. The insertion goes towards the origin. That shortening creates movement. How does it create movement? Well, it crosses joints. Joints are just where two bones come together, your knee joint, your ankle joint, your hip joint. When a muscle crosses over that joint, when it shortens, that shortening creates movement. So that's key to remember, muscles create movement. So let's talk about our muscles at baseline to stimulate or not stimulate what happens. If true, if you don't use it, you lose it. Our body is smart. If we don't need something, our body will start to downregulate. Calories, energy is expensive. Our body wants to actually do the least amount of work. So muscle tissue is expensive tissue. If you, you heard before, maybe you haven't, one pound of muscle is 5,000 calories. One pound of fat is 3,500 calories. And, muddle, and muscles require a lot of work. That's why you've probably heard if you have more muscle mass, if you're just chilling at rest, you're burning more calories than if we cloned you and you had less muscle mass. So your body, if you don't stimulate or if you don't need it, your body will start to downregulate. So what happens is what causes, the whole point of this is getting into what causes soreness. If you want to actually stimulate, if you want to actually increase muscular function, strength, power, endurance, hypertrophy, or size, we have to challenge it. We have to stimulate it. We have to do ask more of its current demands. And so you've had that before where you wake up next day and you get out of bed and you're like, oh, my, what happened? My legs are so sore. And you remember, oh, yeah, I gardened yesterday. I did more squats than normal. I, whatever the case is, when we challenge our muscles more than the current demand, we are actually creating small little injury, small little tear in the muscle fibers. That's okay. That's, that's normal. That's actually how we get improvement if we allow recovery. So back in the day, they thought it was lactic acid that was just hanging around causing it. No, lactic acid, your body, it's, it's produced as a byproduct of anaerobic exercise, but our body will get rid of it and metabolize it as soon as it's produced. It doesn't just hang around for days and days. They found that there's other inflammatory markers and enzymes that are in our bloodstream when we are sore that causes that sensation of actual soreness. And so that leads us to our first point. What is the difference between tight and torn. What's the difference between a tight muscle and a torn muscle? You know I love a good analogy. Cars, pants, you name it. Let's pull a pan analogy out. Back, if you remember back to episode four, shin splints, I talked about tissues and injury and what shin splints is, and I had a pants analogy. Let's go back to the pants, pantalones. So think about this. If you have your pants, you get up, and you, you put your pants on, you're like, man, this feels kind of just tight. What happened? Why do these feel tight? 
you look around, you look down, you scan over. There's no actual tear, right? It's just tight. So the difference between tight and torn, let's call it the definition for sake of this of torn is a disruption in the integrity of the tissue, being muscle, or in the pants case, a disruption in the integrity of the clothing. So think about that. That's the difference. Does it feel tight, but there's no actual disruption in the integrity, or is there an actual tear or disruption? That's the difference between tight and torn. And we'll get into that because what we're mainly talking about today with Muscle Love 101 is how to address tight muscles, not torn muscles, not pain, not injured, but tightness. And so that leads to our next question. Matt, how do you know the difference between tight and torn? Great question. Thanks for coming back. Objective, subjective. Objective, findings, tests, measures, outcomes, subjective, ask questions. Objective, kind of the gold standard would be imaging. What kind of imaging? Either an MRI or for decades now, they've been using ultrasound, diagnostic ultrasound, like they use to look at babies. They found ways to take that information and how to know and assess the entire musculoskeletal system. It's more cost-effective, it's safer, less exposure, they can do it in the clinic. But long story short, they can get a picture and they look for swelling, they look for disruption of the integrity of the tissues, but that'd be one way to know, is this tightness or truly a tear? Some other kind of clinical, if you were to come in, things that I would actually look for if you said, hey, my ankle, ankle hurts, or what's a hamstring, we would look and I'd see, is there any swelling? Does it look different side to side? Is there actually fluid or is there bruising that occurred? Because here, our body is amazing. It's, you get an injury, it sounds the alarm, it's like the fire department comes, your body is trying to bring all these different markers, everything to try to just heal that area as soon as possible. So if there's a truly a tear in the integrity of the tissue, we will see some swelling, we will see some bruising, in most cases. Side note, there's different levels, just like with everything, it's not just it's torn or it's not, we actually grade the tearing as well, grade one, grade two, and grade three. What about subjective? You come in, I'm gonna ask some questions or we talk on the phone, what are some ways that I can have an idea of, is this tight or torn based off just talking to you? I always, almost always first ask, what was the onset? When did this occur? And if you say, I don't know, just started happening versus I stepped off a curb wrong. I didn't know I was running. There was a pothole. I landed in it. So we call this insidious onset versus traumatic. If it's insidious, there was no inciting event. Nothing happened versus traumatic. So you can imagine which one would usually cause that tear. It's usually traumatic. Something very quick, more than the, more than the, the tissue can handle. Just like if I were to tear my pants, like back to episode four, if I'm squatting down and then woof, rip, I get up, I'd say, well, Matt, when did you, when did this start to occur? Well, I squatted down, I heard a rip, I got up, that's when it occurred. That automatically know, okay, we've got an event that actually occurred. Typically that's a tear. Other things I'm going to be asking about are pain. Is it, would you call this more pain or would you call this more discomfort and if somebody can't really tell the difference which a lot of people can't and that's okay 
I'll, I'll use it this way. This I've started doing this for a while. Scale of zero to 10, same scale, whether it's pain or discomfort, let's just call this a discomfort scale. Zero is you're great, you feel fantastic. 10 is unbelievably uncomfortable. Take me to the emergency room. I'll use that scale and say whatever that is to you, it could be pain, whatever you want to call it, that scale, if we're at like zero to four, that's more discomfort. But if it's like five to 10, that's typically more pain. Pain is higher numbers on that same scale. So if it's actually just soreness, soreness doesn't usually get above a four for most people. So if we're dealing with a six or a seven amount of pain, that's not that's usually not just typical soreness. That's usually actual tear or a, a traumatic actual injury. So keeping that in mind, lower grade of discomfort, more soreness, what we're going to be dealing with here in this episode, greater than five or greater. I always think five, hand, stop, no go, five and greater, we're probably de dealing with an actual tear. So next up is when to use a tool. Tool being lacrosse ball, foam roller, massage gun, when to use a tool. Let's start with when not to use a tool. We can rule that out. If it's torn, if it's injured, we don't want to use a tool. Think about that. If I had a cut on my arm, I don't want to be pulling or vibrating or mashing. <laughs> I don't want to be doing that to the cut. I don't need to let it heal. So we don't want to use tools. If it's injured, I have people come in, you know, my hamstring is killing me. I've been foam rolling it and I've been massaging it. What should I do? And I'll usually ask, is it helping? Do you feel like it's helping or not? A lot of times people say, no, actually, I think it might be making it worse. We might be dealing with a tear there. So when not to use a tool is if the tissue, the muscle is actually torn or injured. So when do we use it then? When it's tight. When the tissue, the muscle is tight. Pants are tight, no disruption in the integrity. My calf is just tight. So with tightness, that's when we're gonna be using a tool. And so what tool do you use? All the different options. Let's think about it this way. Let's kind of organize it of how we can pick a tool. Because here's the crazy thing. This is what helps me with deciding. The muscle itself doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know. Is it a foam roller? Is it a roller that you cook with? I'm not a good cooker. Whatever. The pin roller. Is it a wooden spoon? Your muscle doesn't know. It just feels pressure or not. Our, our receptors don't know. They can't differentiate the muscle itself, what is this? Is this a 1997 massage roller or is it a, a 94? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So your muscle doesn't know the difference. So how can we know? So what I always think about first and foremost when picking a device, if something is tight, is what area of the body are we dealing with and what's the surface area of the actual tool? So let's break that down. If a foam roller has a very broad surface area versus a lacrosse ball has a smaller surface area. And what do we know about surface area and pressure? There's an inverse relationship. So the smaller the surface area, the greater the pressure. Think about it. If I were to come up to you 
and put just my thumb on your shoulder and just push it in with my thumb out versus my whole palm pushing on your shoulder with my with just my palm it's more uncomfortable it's more pressure it's higher intensity with a smaller surface area so if i'm trying to pick out which area to use that's something i want to think about is the surface area when we go to these examples and apply these it will hopefully make some more sense next how do we use the tool how do we actually go about using the foam roller or the lacrosse ball how do we use it here's where i ask what is your goal is your goal to recover or is your goal to release recover or release we'll get into those if the goal is to recover we want movement we want to move the tool versus if the goal is to release increase range of motion decrease the tone how tight a muscle is then we want to actually hold the tool to the muscle so with that let's go into our three examples three cases hopefully you fall into one of these three and want to describe what their symptoms are what's going on and how and what tool that we would use so first of three we have 37 year old male named bartholomew he comes in he's got tight calves what are some deets on him it's more discomfort it's not really pain it's just discomfort in his calves then we ask what's the location is it the whole calf is it part of the calf and he says you know it's actually it's more specific it feels like there's a knot it feels like there's this one spot that just is more tender it won't release no matter how much i stretch it i move it I can't seem to do anything about it. It's very specific. And then I'm gonna look at the range of motion objectively. I usually would see an actual reduction range of motion of that muscle. How do you know? Well, that's where testing comes in. If it's for the calf in this example, this is where I would do episode one, season one, talked about why are my calves tight, talked about that wall test, where I'm gonna look side to side can I get my knee past my toe, which is lengthening the calf to see is it restricting that movement? I'm looking side to side, looking for any differences and see if there is range of motion loss or if there's not, because we'll get into that can help us in our decision making. So in this example, what I would recommend for Bartholomew, tight calves, not you would say in his calves, is I would say first, let's think about this. If there's that one specific spot Maybe we'll ask him if he had a pick, is it a dime? Is it a quarter or half dollar? If he even remembers those, okay, he's 37. He knows about those. Or is it a dollar bill? He says, you know, it's about the size of a quarter. Think about it. If I want to use a foam roller, very broad surface versus a smaller surface area, I want to use a smaller. I want to use a lacrosse ball. And how do we use it? Why? What am I going to do? Am I going to move the, the lacrosse ball over it? Am I going to hold it? This is key, this is so important. You ready for this? If we are trying to release a muscle, we want to apply this pressure to it, the sustained constant pressure to the muscle. And what that does, sends a signal to your brain, releases. It will start to actually release. What do I mean by release? If you think about a muscle, right now with your right arm, squeeze your bicep. Imagine like you're trying to bend your arm, squeeze, 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 squeeze. 
Your bicep right now, if you touch it, it's more firm. It has higher tone. If you release it, it has less tone. When we're tight, when we have some of these trigger points or what's called knots in a muscle, it feels firmer. Like it's higher tone. We could say it's on more. So how we can release that is by holding sustained pressure. I'm holding it 60, 90 seconds. After that, okay, it was kind of intense at first. As I held it, it slowly started to melt away. And afterwards, I was able to, to move it a little bit more. I like to think if I'm trying to increase this range of motion, that's where I'm just going to hold. Versus if I'm just taking that ball and I'm just moving it over and moving it over, it's like I'm kneading dough, we're not actually really getting that neurological response, that melting away that happens. And if you think about it, if you imagine if you were agitated, if you were just high, strong, high, your whole body, if we were to just come up and just start shaking you, that's not really going to help. Right? If you're trying to calm down, if we were to come up and just give you a hug and, I, and just hold, just not too crazy hard, but just hold slowly and be like, okay, I got this. This is good. Or let's think back to that pants example. If we were to look at the pants, let's say that right leg, the right pant leg was a little shorter than the left. I'm like, what the heck? What's going on? And I'm looking, and there's just this little bunch. There's, if I look on the back of the pants, there's this like little kink in the cloth where it's just kind of stuck. It's folded, and it won't release. Let's call that a knot. Let's call that a trigger point. So in order to release that, I want to actually hold some sustained pressure. And in doing so, it can actually help to release it. So Bartholomew, 37-year-old male, tight calves, lacrosse ball. And to get even more specific, I would say, okay, I want you to be on the ground and apply some pressure. How much? That's up to you. We're not trying to injure this. We're not trying to go crazy. If you don't have a lacrosse ball, if you have a tennis ball, what's the difference? Well, the density. The more dense it is, the more intense. So thinking about matching the intensity to the area. If I have that lacrosse ball that's very, very firm, but if I have him put it on a bed, his legs on a bed that's very soft, and the lacrosse ball behind that, too much squish. I'm not going to actually get enough of that deep sustained pressure. So think in mind the surface area and the density. So I tell him, okay, be on the ground, take the lacrosse ball, and I want you to move the ball only to find a tender spot. Say that again. The only movement that occurs, let's call that searching, hunting, if you will. But then once you find one of those tender spots, that knot, you stop, you hold, static, 60, 90 seconds, breathe, try to relax the muscle. You can't stretch a muscle that is contracted and, and engaged. Try to release it. Breathe and release. Bartholomew, 37. One more thing before going on. If he was in the clinic... This is where I would probably day one, I would, I would, this is what I would do. I would assess, I would give him this to do. Depends on his goals, where he's at. I want to try to make people as independent as possible, not depend on me. So I might give him the option, you know, there's a fast way and a slow way of doing this. We can drive across the country or we can fly there. We'll get there no matter what. It's just a matter of how fast do you want to get there. So the difference between driving, doing this with the trigger point release with the ball versus flying is a technique called dry needling. 
dry needling, a lot of you probably heard it, probably me just saying that, you shudder. But basically, that we talk about that little knot, that little contraction in the tissue that won't let go, taking a thin needle the size of a human hair and just massaging on the inside, making sweet love to that knot with the needle, what we'll actually see is the muscle will jump. It will release. And then immediately afterwards, it's sore. Because guess what? We just released a lot of these inflammatory muscles that cause that soreness. But then now they can, body can get rid of it. So long story short, if we were trying to get there fast, I'd say, let's needle this. And then once it recovers after about a day or two, then I want you to do this at home. And the other key with this is, it's not every day. We don't want to do this every single day. If we're trying to recreate that pressure and trying to really release, that's something that I personally don't recommend to do every day. I recommend every other day. Okay, now let's move on. 28-year-old Cleopatra. Cleopatra, 28-year-old female. She's coming in. She's got hamstring pain. That's what she describes just coming in. So I don't know yet, but hamstring pain. What are some of the deets on her? I ask her, zero to 10. 10, take me to the emergency room. Zero is you're in your happy place. What kind of discomfort level are we dealing with here? She says a seven. So if that's the case, I'm automatically in my mind thinking, okay, this is probably a tear. Most likely, it depends on her history. But even if it's not, if it's that high amount of pain, what do we do? Well, we'll get to that. We ask, is it specific or general in your hamstring? She said, oh, specific. It's like I'm sitting on it right on my sit bones, very localized. I look at her range of motion, and there's no range of motion loss. If anything, she has a little bit more motion on the affected side. How do I test it? In standing, have her try to touch her toes, isolate one, one knee, one leg straight. That way the other one is slack, the hamstring slack, bend down, how far can you go? Check the other side, may have her on her back, do a straight leg raise, keep the leg straight, lift it as high as you can go, compare side to side. But we find out she doesn't actually have any range of motion loss. So what do we do with, what do we do with Cleo? We just let her heal. We just let her heal. Same with that cut. If I actually had that tear, I want to allow that cut to heal. I can't really speed up that cut on my hand, but you better believe I can slow the healing down. If I'm pulling on it, if I'm mashing on it, if I'm stretching it and it's torn, true tear, we got to let it heal. And the best thing is the difference between your pants, if they're ripped versus your skin, your muscle, your body heals. It's unbelievable. Your pants, they're not going to regenerate. Your body will. So with her, we just have to let her heal. So this is just an example of if it's truly pain dominant, there's no range of motion loss, then just let it heal, which sometimes can be the hardest thing to do because we feel like we have to do something to let it heal. But this is where I say by you not doing anything, by you creating and cultivating this environment to allow it to heal, it's healing. I'll say if you're not agitating it, you're healing it. So it helps to just kind of mentally, okay, and then I might give her some examples of, you know, what are some things that agitate it? Let's try to avoid those just for about two to three days. Putting on your shoes, bending forward. Let's just try to minimize times that you go down to, lower to the ground. And when you do, let's do it this way. Let's do more of a squat, more quads and knees versus hamstrings at the hip. Moving on, we've got David. Just 
David, 50-year-old male, he's got leg stiffness. Leg stiffness. So we ask, is this general? Is this specific? What are we dealing with here, David? He says, just general. All my legs, just everything just feels tight. I say, okay, is it specific? Is it just one leg, part of the leg? He's like, no, it's just really just my whole, both of them, like ankles, knees, hips, just, it's just a lot, everything. So it's very general. And then if I look at his range of motion, there's no specific loss. I check both sides, single side, with far as ankle, knee, hip extensibility, or range of motion. If there's just some general loss of motion, how do I know that? Just from seeing and assessing thousands of people over time, what is considered normal range of motion. And for him, it's just he doesn't have what we consider quote-unquote normal range, but it's kind of global. Everything's a little bit restricted. And so with him, what would we do with him? If it's that general, am I going to dry needle his entire, all of his legs? Gosh, that'd be miserable. Am I going to take a lacrosse ball and put it on that one spot? Well, there is no one spot. So what about him? So, so far we've talked about lacrosse ball and holding. We've talked about not doing anything and allowing healing. What's left? We haven't talked about moving yet. And when we move, it's to recover. Movement of the tool to the muscle is more for recovery versus Bartholomew. He had restricted emotion. We were trying to release, to increase range of motion. That's where we held lacrosse ball. So for him, if I'm trying to say, we want to move, we want to move a tool around all of your legs. What's the way that I could get to them all at once in a reasonable amount of time. Well, this is where the surface area for a broader area comes in. This is where I may use a foam roller. This is where I may recommend rolling it over your quads, your, your hamstrings, avoiding the outside of your thigh, episode seven, IT band, don't foam roll your IT band, your calves, but going over the muscles, not over the bony prominence, and just movement. They're just sore. He's been working out a ton. If we were to ask him those questions, he's just been super active more lately, 2023. He's trying to get moving. He's 50. He's been doing this for a long time, for years and years and years and years, but he's increased it lately. So he's just a little bit more generalized tightness. That's where the movement comes in. And so then what is another way I could even do even more? If I could recover some of that soreness, getting the blood flowing, those inflammatory markers that are in the bloodstream that are, are causing that soreness, the more I kind of get them moving, pressure differentials, what's another way I could kind of speed that up? Well, that's where the massage gun comes in. This is where you can use percussion or vibration and using a massage gun and kind of scanning, I like to think of it like you're shaving your legs. You're going across every part. As you slowly scan over the muscle with the massage gun, it's going up and down, up and down, creating movement. If I'm trying to increase range of motion, if it was specific, that's where it's not super helpful. That's where if I want to hold it. So your next question, which is a good one, is can one tool be used for two different goals? Yeah. So that same, that foam roller or the lacrosse ball, I can just move it over the tissues and not stay on any one specific spot. But again, then my intention is more movement, more recovery, more soreness. 
versus if it's tight, I'm trying to release, that's where I would want to hold and find a spot. So no matter what, movement is okay. Using a ball, using a foam roller to move over muscle. The key is if you're trying to release to increase, that's where we want to actually hold. That's the difference. Movement then is occurring just to find a tender spot. So those are our three examples. I want to go over some, but what about blank questions? Matt, what about stretching? So again, go back to episode three was where I talked all about stretching, you know, before, after running, after, after. But in the case of this, in these examples, if I'm going to stretch, if I'm going to lengthen a tissue, then typically what? The, the tissue is, is shortened. Those pants, if they're not tight, I'm not trying to really stretch out my pants. They're not tight. But if I have those restrictions, I may do stretching as a complement after releasing. So this is the analogy I use a lot of times. Hopefully it helps. If you imagine I've got that rope, there's a knot in that rope, and I'm trying to just stretch it out. I can't stretch that knot out. That's where I take the ball, the lacrosse ball. I'm holding it, releasing it, and then what? After I release the knot, then I can lengthen. That's where stretching, or I like to say instead of saying stretching, let's say lengthening comes in. That's how we can use this as a component in conjunction. But again, if you're looking for before or after, very quickly, before running, it's more about warming up dynamic movements. After running, after thousands of repetitive contractions, shortening, 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 shortening of the muscle, that's where lengthening can be beneficial immediately afterwards. Okay, Matt, what about massage? Well, hopefully now that makes a little more sense. What is massage actually doing? Massage is just moving. We're just moving the tissues. So for recovery, great. But to use it, massage people can then use trigger point release. They can also do some of both. They can move the tissues, find a spot, and then hold it. So massage can have a place, but sometimes you can just do it on your own. But if I'm using massage, just generalize massage, recovery. What about dry needling? That's what we talked about with Bartholomew. Bart, I think, is what he goes by. Dry needling. If I'm trying to release those knots, if it's very specific, then I'm going to use it. If it's pain, though, if it's torn, that, why, that wouldn't help, right? If I'm just poking, and at, poking the bear, he's mad, I'm just poking it, that's not going to help. It's going to agitate it. So dry needling can be used for isolated, restricted movements. More discomfort, zero to four versus pain dominant is one. And I've been doing it for about 10 years now, and it's a fantastic tool, but that's the key. Just like everything else here, it's a tool. Now, what about cupping? Ooh, good question. Cupping. Think about what we've talked about so far. Holding and moving. If I'm in the muscle's mind, what are those both? That's both compression. Right? I'm compressing, I'm pushing down on the tissue. But what about pulling up or tensile to the muscle? Well, that's where cups can come in. By actually putting a plastic cup on a muscle and pumping the little gun thing, creating negative pressure differentials, lifting the tissue up, the reality is the muscle, I hope not, that would be unbelievably powerful. The muscle is not going to come up into that cup, but we will see layers of the skin, the fascia. But there can be times where it can be beneficial to lift up the fascia, pull, tensile, and then kind of move underneath. 
The way I like to describe this to patients is my shirt, now instead of pants, let's go to shirt. So let's say my shirt's tight, I can take my hand and I can pull my shirt out away from me, kind of move a little bit, move my body and then release it. So I like to incorporate cupping with movement if I'm gonna do it, especially to the IT band or areas of more compressive areas. So that's where cupping can be used in conjunction but again, it still falls under the, the movement and not really releasing, more movement. What about scraping? Oh, Graston, scraping. We're just using a tool. Same idea, just using a tool. Somebody else is usually using it to you. You can use it on yourself, but we're just moving it. So if that's the case, what are we doing? If we're just moving this instrument, this tool, that's more for recovery. Not really releasing, but more for recovery. What about joint manipulation? What about cracking a joint? What about high velocity, low amplitude thrust, all saying the same exact thing? Well, what are we doing? We're treating the joint. But there is some studies, there is some research that does show that when we crack a joint, when we cavitate, there is every joint, two bones put uh, intersect. There's this capsule like saran wrap that goes around it. Inside of that is all sorts of stuff. Fluid helps with lubrication, synovial fluid, but some of what's in there is nitrogen. This is what's been hypothesized is that when we gap a joint, when we provide this high velocity, low amplitude thrust to a joint, it, some of the nitrogen is released, turns from a liquid to a gaseous state. We hear this audible pop. They have shown that that can desensitize the nerve endings. What does that mean? Well, when I'm taking my hand or the lacrosse ball and I'm pushing and holding on a muscle, we're going to get some of that neurological effect to it. Same idea. If we do get this crack, this cavitation, it can help. It can help reduce some of the overall tone. And lastly, probably one of my favorites, some of the, probably the, the I want to say the least talked about, but in several last several years, it's been unbelievably researched and talked about is breathing, breathing. Fun fact, respiratory therapy came out of physical therapy back in the day, but it's not really physical therapists that are really the most geared with this, but either way, this is something that is so helpful. You hear about mindfulness, breathing, Wim Hof, there's so much different out there about breathing and how can breathing help? Well, breathing can reduce our body's overall tone, right? If I tell you bad news or if you're anxious or scared, what do you do? You tighten up versus more relaxed, more loose. Well, breathing can be a way and avenue to actually help us with this by working on the breath, by focusing on the breath, by calming our mind, by scanning our body, we can have some more mindfulness and we can then alone help. Sometimes we have to ask, well, if that's tight and guarded, what's the reason? What is it trying to protect for the muscles? And then we have to go after that root cause. But just some, sometimes just some generalized tone or tightness, it can also amplify something that's already there. So working on breathing is a fantastic way also to reduce tone, anxiety, stress, and to dial it back a bit. Key takeaways, remember, the muscles don't know the difference. When you're putting compression on a muscle, it doesn't know what it is. It doesn't have to be an $800 piece of metal. It could be a kitchen spoon. It doesn't know. And this is probably the most important. Experiment. Try it out. It doesn't matter what I say. If I say this is what I recommend and you do it and it doesn't work for you, then don't do it. That's okay. This is just hopefully giving you some kind of a foundation, the bell curve of most people 
these principles will be helpful. But again, you know your body better than anybody else. Try it out. Experiment. How does it feel? Ask yourself. Do it with intent. What happens if I use a massage gun versus a foam roller versus a ball? How do I feel? Different circumstances. But just start to experiment and pay attention. Think like a scientist. Okay, let's shift gears. Do you ever wonder what exercises are best to do for running? Not only that, what exercises should you specifically focus on? How do you know if you're making progress or not? Well, here's what I've, I've developed, and this is what I teach in my courses, and I just added to the Learn to Run Club where you can do this on your own, but I've created what's called the Rundamentals Test. Fundamentals, Rundamentals. I took all the different components of running motion, strength, what specifically strength, what specific range of motion, and broke it down into one test with 10 different components. Three of those are for range of motion, looking at ankle, knee, and hip range of motion. And then the other are looking at three types of muscle function during running. If you listen to podcast episodes, season one, 10 and 11, I separate out the muscles into groups. Talk about the muscles that help with propulsion, the muscles that help with getting you up and down hills, shock absorption, stability. So I actually organized different tests and measures of test, what's your baseline, compare side to side, let's try to improve this number. It just gives you some more clarity for clinicians, where should we focus? You can do this on your own. And then I matched it with an algorithm that depends on your results and where, what you get. Here's what you can do to try to improve. So it just makes it more specific, gets us more guidance to it. So that's Rundamentals. That's a part of the Learn to Run Club monthly membership. Gets you access to all training plans, 5K through full marathon. Also the seven-day mechanics experience, seven skills for running mechanics over seven days. Exclusive education. Learn to Run Club members get a discount for one-on-one virtual form mechanic sessions. That's all I have to say about that. Omega Sports, I want to thank, I'm so grateful for, for Mary, Dell, everyone at Omega Sports. They are the sponsor of the show. We couldn't do it without them. And I've really grown to appreciate the relationship that we've grown. Omega Sports has been in business for over 40 years. 40 years they've been keeping not just runners, but all sports moving. Highly recommend checking Omega Sports out locally or online. Of note, the views and opinions of this show do not reflect those of Omega Sports. For better or for worse, they are my own. I really hope you enjoyed today's season two, episode one. If you want to vote on the topics, follow me on Instagram. You can email me at info at learntorun101.com. It'll be in the show notes. I would so, so, so appreciate you continue to share, rate, review. Tell me, how can I make this better and get this information to someone that might need it? The Omega Sports Learn to Run podcast is available on all major platforms. Until next time. Bye.